How many of you, when you're faced with an obstacle, just stop? Just look at it and say, I can't get past that. If you're tenacious, you may find a way around it to go around that big boulder in your path. But very few find a way to take that boulder, that obstacle, and turn it to your advantage. So you may not be thinking bespoke jeans, custom jeans that fit is your jam. Well, Nick and Josh are going to talk today not so much about bespoke jeans, which they have a real passion, but talk about business jujitsu. That's right, how to take the obstacles in the market and use them to your advantage and do it remarkably well. You're going to want to listen today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Will. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Nick and Josh from Blue Delta Jeans. Nick is the co-founder and CEO and COO, sorry, and Josh is the co-founder and CEO. Need to make sure that I get my acronyms correct of Blue Delta Jeans. This is a quote factory episode. There are five or six things that I'll talk about in the close that you are going to want to take with you, put in your back pocket and pull out whenever you are faced with some sort of obstacle in the marketplace. These two guys are so smart about how they approach business and how they took a look at what was being laid in front of them and used it to their advantage. So I'm not going to give too much away. We're going to turn this over to Nick and Josh as we start talking about, well, success at all obstacles. Nick and Josh, thanks for joining the podcast. We are going to start like we do with everybody else. Who are you and why the heck are you here? My name is Josh. I'm the CEO of Blue Delta and I make custom jeans that fit. I'm Nick Weaver. I'm the COO and co-founder of Blue Delta Jeans. And, uh, same. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We nailed Love that. It. So I didn't have to. That was great. So, hey, guys, listen, one of the things that, that um, I was excited about getting you on and, and really interested in talking about is, you know, you, you built this company and I want to talk a little bit about the origins. But first, you know, you, you came up with this bespoke model, which came out of necessity. And as you guys described, one of your greatest assets, but also one of the greatest detriments. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you came up with the idea of Bespoke and how this was born out of necessity, and then we'll go back to how you guys actually started, founded the organization. Sure. Well, Bespoke um, is a word that's becoming more common. It's tossed around a lot, but Bespoke is the ultimate custom. Um, there's a lot of companies that use the word custom, and that may mean a color of a button or hem length, but we are truly Bespoke, meaning we make a pattern for the customer. Um, we take 16 measurements from the waist down. You pick your fabric, your thread. You pick everything about the gene, and we make it custom uh, tailored for you. So great uh, selling point right now, but we came to Bespoke because when we started a gene company, neither one of us had any fashion experience. We had some manufacturing experience, but nothing in the fashion realm. And Bespoke was really the only thing we could afford to do. Um, because um, it, Bespoke has a, a great uh, benefit, meaning you don't have to make it until you sell it. So now if you came in our factory, you would say, well, you have a lot of inventory here. You have all these rolls of fabric. But compared to a traditional rack gene, we have very, very low inventory still to this day. And nothing but raw goods as well. 
there's nothing pre-made that they, this is not a, this is not a made to measure product, which you know, people get confused. This is not even a custom product. Like Josh said, this is a true bespoke means made from scratch. So, so, yeah. so in the early days we were literally selling a gene and then going and buying the fabric for that gene and making the gene for that client um, with the, with the money that they paid us to make the gene with. Um, it was a lot easier to get fabric then. A lot of mills were still uh, making it in the United States, um, and the lead times were a lot less. Now we have to stock our raw materials, but it's still raw materials, right? So it's, it's not like we're making uh, 1,034, 32s on Monday and 10,032, 34s. We're, make, we're not making a pan until we sell it, which was born a necessity, but it's something that we have not changed, and I think it's one of the reasons we're still around today guys what i what i loved hearing and why i was so excited about getting you on the podcast was this idea and i hear this from a lot of founders you know oh i'm i'm not in silicon valley or i'm not in new york or i'm not in a major hub gosh i could do so many great things if i just had the resources or it's just in the right place i'm in the wrong geography you guys are making bespoke jeans in oxford mississippi you don't have fashion experience, you have manufacturing experience, it would have been easy to sit back and let fear get in the way and say, well, I can't do this. And, and you guys have just sort of jumped in full speed ahead and made this thing work. We talked about tenacity in the intro, but I love that you guys have gone in and built something and didn't let that stand in your way. And uh, you are right that there wasn't a lot of fear there, but there was a lot of ignorance and about how hard that this was going to know, make it work successfully. Now, you know, one thing that we did have a lot was the seamstress talent here uh, and connecting the dots is really, the, you know, really one of the main things that we did is that we, uh, that we uh, took our local natural resources and we plugged them in to other, you know, sales avenues. You know, and as we were scaling, you know, first we, you know, first we, first we made a good product. You know, if you're not doing that, well, then, uh, you know, you know, that makes it hard to sell. <laughs> but, but also as we made the product, we were also creating processes that could be scalable. We had certain uh, early war cries, if you will, burn the ships, win our backyard, and we. Uh, and one of the main one was was don't create processes that can be broken by volume, you know. And that's one thing. Even when there was, you know, even when we were sewing on Monday and Tuesdays and Thursday nights from five to nine p.m., uh, you know, you know, everybody was moonlighting at the beginning. We were still acting as, oh, okay, if we got a hundred orders in today, how will we handle this? You know, how will we process, you know, and uh, it's a good thing because, you know, uh, we did, you know, probably, you know, you know, less than 50 pairs our first year, you know, and now we're doing, you know, you know, you know, several times out a day. So it was in the early days creating those processes, which really made the growth uh, more, more bearable. Nick, Nick hit on a good point, too, with uh, knowing where your strengths are. Um, we didn't know a lot about fashion, but and we weren't, you know, North Mississippi, we're landlocked. Um, we're not large population. There's a lot of things you could say, why start a business there? But one thing we did have was human capital. Mm-hmm. And we knew that we had a talented pool of seamstresses, and, um, and they weren't being utilized effectively. So I think 
no matter where you are, you've, you've got resources on hand. You may just have to go find those. Um, those, those people have always been here since the early 60s. No one's been making custom jeans with them, but they've been here, and we just were able to tap into that talent pool. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the great the great things again, which it goes to this bespoke model. How you've approached this is you guys really looked at it and said, okay, what are the things that are our disposal? Right. Well, we don't we can't create a lot of inventory. We can't build up a, a you know huge infrastructure. So we're going to build things at scale. We're going to build a model that allows us to um, finance it appropriately, and we're going to build off of our, you know, our own internal resources or local resources and going after this human capital and the things that you guys know best. And I think that's the thing that's led to your success versus trying to play somebody else's game or do this the way it could have been done some other location. You guys said, well, here's, here's what we got to play with. Here's our resources. Let's go make this thing work. And, uh, and uh, to even, uh, you know, go a little bit deeper, if we would have had more money in the beginning or if we would have been more comfortable, then uh, this may not have been produced as well. You know, being, uh, yeah. being where we had to kill what you eat, you know, making sure we were managing labor costs versus what we were producing, all these things were problems in the issue, but it really educated us on how to operate a growing business, you know, cash flow, which if you're running a business, you know, how important is that? But, you know, us, us starting with nothing was more, was more of a blessing than a hindrance for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of those things where, again, it, it, it forces resourcefulness, right? It forces you to rethink the model and forces you to look at a couple of things. And, you know, I love this idea of um, sometimes it's the obstacles that get in our way that lead to our successes, right? That if things had been easy, right? If all of those problems had been solved for you, you probably wouldn't be in the place that you're in today. You'd be in a very different place, but because you've had to build and grow through those, now you're, you're finding ways to make a scalable, um, uh, manageable resource-based model that it probably wouldn't have happened if it just been, okay, we're going to go build this like a more traditional approach. Right. And there's a lot of, there's not many people doing what we're doing, especially in the U.S. with the custom gene model, but there are a lot of what are known as short-run gene manufacturers that are smaller gene companies in the, a lot of them in the southern states. And we would have probably tried to follow that path and we would have probably failed. Though those people, it's a very tough road and they don't have a lot of staying power because they're trying to design for the market and the fashion market changes seasonally. We're not designing for the market. We're making custom products. We're making what people want. If you want a flare, we're going to make you a flare. If you wear boots, we're going to make you a boot cut. If you want the traditional modern dark denim jean, we're going to make you that. So we're not really chasing trends, which is what a lot of people fall into. And we avoided that because we couldn't, we couldn't afford to chase the trends in the early days, which saved us. Yeah. Well, what's, what's nice is so out here, right? Silicon Valley, it's all dark skinny jeans or, you know, pre-ripped, right? There's a sort of, there's a, there's a iconography for, uh, for the fashion industry out here, but what somebody might be wearing in Kansas city, what they're wearing in Chicago, what they'd be wearing in Boston are maybe a little bit different. So yeah, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, 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 sorry. And, you know, uh, we giggle about that all the time because there probably isn't a lot of things that, you know, uh, 
uh, that certain clients of ours own that other clients own. Like, um, you know, there probably isn't a lot of jeans that John Calipari, the head coach of Kentucky basketball, and Nicole Kidman probably don't wear the same clothes a lot. <laughs> so it's uh, just looking at it from that perspective as well. It's like, it's not only is it, you know, are you from East Coast, West Coast? It's denim is a universal language though. You know, it's been around for about 200 years, uh, uh, you know, and it's worn more in offices and banks than ever before. And, uh, you know, everybody wears denim. So, you know, making a bespoke denim, like Josh said, you know, fabric, fabric thread fit and cut, you know, that really opens up of who wants our product and, you know, who buys it. Well, and it, it speaks to everyone's own individual personality and style. And so it's, instead of having to live in an off the rack world, you guys give them the opportunity to come in and be the personification of their own style and do that in a way that I think is unique. You mentioned something here a second ago too, because you talked about being made in the USA. And, and one of the things that I think is also fascinating about you guys is, so there's a lot of uh, overseas offshore manufacturing creation of, of the fashion industry. And you guys are basing this all in, made in the USA, forged in the USA. And, and you were even doing this before this was a big of a trend as it's starting to become. So talk about that for a little bit as well. Well, well, we are probably one of the only uh, you know, fashion companies that, uh, that uh, doesn't cringe when a president s- sends a tweet about a tariff or something. I can tell you that. <laughs> that doesn't affect you know, our sleep at night. Yeah, you know, Nick and I, when we did this, we both had re- we had both had good jobs. You know, we, we were doing this because we wanted to do it, because we wanted to make something, and we wanted to do it where we lived. So, you know, me, us having to fly over to China or Vietnam or Chile and, and try to figure out sustainable ordering processes and logistics, that, that's not fun. But getting in the garage and making a gene out of scratch, um, that sounded like fun. And so when we started this, we didn't even really have to make that decision. Are we going to make this in America? There, there wasn't even that discussion. We just knew we could do it here. We had the seamstress talent here. And, um, and then when this Made in America movement started happening, you know, we were way out in front of it, but it wasn't a, really a conscious decision. It, it really wasn't a, was never a decision to begin with. Yeah, another another great example of based out of necessity. So, so let's go back to for a second on on why you guys founded this. So, you guys had jobs, right? It wasn't it wasn't like you found yourself in a place where you're like, okay, I, I've got I've got nothing else to do. What am I gonna do? Well, I'll make some jeans, right? I mean, you guys really you took about this just like you've done everything else with purpose. Um, tell me a little bit about how this started in the first place. So the uh, genesis of this idea. Uh, uh, came from Josh. Um, um, Josh was recruiting a, a major manufacturer, Toyota, to the state of Mississippi. And he really got to see the labor resource that Mississippi held. Uh, and I think it really was from there is what kind of sparked your idea. Yeah, you know, I, I was working in economic development, so we were recruiting a lot of industry. And I was getting in and out of factories every every day. And um able to go to, to Japan a good bit, and that's a huge denim market. 
Um, and so those two worlds kind of collided and um, I just said, I have trouble finding jeans that fit. We have talented seamstresses. I think there's a market for this. Let's, let's try to make it. And so that's why we always kind of come back to knowing what we do. It's not complicated. We're not curing cancer over here. We make custom jeans that fit. And there are always people in the world that are looking for jeans that fit. So that's, uh, it was just putting the pieces together, finding a problem that needed to be solved, and then realizing we can solve that here, uh, right here in Tupelo with our, um, in, in North Mississippi with our talent pool. Yeah, well, I, I think this is one of the things that's really key. And, and I talk about this in the book. Uh, I've interviewed quite a few people here on the show in particular. And we've seen some successful companies. We've also seen some really just catastrophic failures because they've missed on this idea of you guys have a problem that you're solving. Right. Right. You didn't, you didn't look at this and go, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, right, we can make bespoke jeans I don't know if anybody's going to want to buy that or not, but it's a cool idea. And then tried to build a, a market around that. You guys came to a place of this is an idea that has a, this is a problem needs to be solved, right? This is something universal people are looking for. Nick, you said a minute ago, jeans are universal. Denim is this been around for a while and now people are starting to wear it at scale more often. Um, you know, Josh, you're talking about having to find things that fit. You guys married those two things and built a market around. It was very purposeful, and it was based off a problem. Right. And, you know, you know, build a market, that doesn't mean that we paid an SEO company to make us an email list and we hit blast because that shit wasn't to work with us. You know, yeah. you have to throw measurements around you. So that's one thing I'll say is that uh, our attack and our approach of, you know, now we have a good product, you know, how we're going to give it to the world was unique and grassroots. Uh, and, you know, and uh, that's one thing I'm proud of as, you know, you're proud that, that this company did well. Man. And we, you know, I, I don't give a lot of advice to entrepreneurs because we made probably every mistake in the book. We did a lot of things <laughs> wrong, right? We did a lot of things wrong too. But one thing I will tell anybody that asks is get your product to market as soon as possible and they will tell you whether it's worth a crap or not <laughs> because uh, you know once we had a couple of our first shows we looked at each other and said this is going to work because people got it immediately you're going to measure me and my jeans are going to fit yes and so if we would have done those first couple of shows and no one would have bought I don't know if we would have forged ahead, but, and, but it was easy to see that. And since we, um, and since you can't buy a gene online still to this day, and you couldn't seven years ago either, uh, it forced us, me and Josh were the, the road show. You know, it was setting mm -hmm. up tables, setting up. Back then, we only had four fabrics, and three of them were blue. So, kind of living <laughs> up, you know, now we have 50 fabrics and 10 different thread colors, and, you know, you, you can design it you know, better. Uh, but you know, that taught us being face to face with somebody and them laughing at a concept or, you know, uh, push back a price. You know, it was me and Josh. Now they didn't know that we were cutting the damn gene and doing it was shipping every gene. You know, <laughs> we were the marketing sales. See, I mean, yeah. Uh, so 
there's not much of the process or product that we at one time did not touch or do. And those little trunk shows that started off in Tupelo, Mississippi, now we've been in, uh, you know, Cabo to Pebble Beach in the last two weeks. Uh, the Hamptons this past weekend. Uh, you know, now we build champions and they take us with them. You know, people that we couldn't afford to wear our jeans. You know, people, people that get paid to wear other clothes, uh, you know, buy our jeans. And that's because we do stand behind our product. You know, we guarantee fit, you know, because, uh, uh, and it works. One of the things I love about C-Suite Radio is our sponsors. They're the ones that help make this podcast thrive and survive. And so I would really appreciate it if you would listen to our sponsor today. Thanks again for listening to our sponsor. Now back to our interview with Nick and Josh at Blue Delta Jeans. Well, and again, one of the things uh, born out of necessity, right? You guys were the trunk shows. You were out on the road. You were going in and doing all of this yourself. So you got this great market feedback. You weren't reliant on other people to try and translate the market for you. You heard directly from customers because you were out there engaging with them, talking to them. They might not have understood that they were talking to the founders and that you were the end-all, be-all but you were getting this direct feedback from them that helped shape and guide the direction of the company. You would have altered your course had you gotten laughed out of the room, altered your course had they not understood price, altered their course if they had not liked the fabrics. But you got that positive feedback and that helped you forge ahead. Absolutely. And our product today is much better than it was in 2012 and it'll be better in 2020 than it is today. And so uh, that's, I would sit in the factory and make it perfect and never sell it. And Nick would sell something that he doesn't even know about or touch. That's how different we are. But together, he kind of drags me forward and I kind of pull him back. So it worked very well. But getting the product in the marketplace as quick as possible to, to get some true guidance, because that, that's, that's where you find yeah. out if you're going to win or not. And it's the, you know, don't plan too much. You know, people have trouble planning vacations. Don't try to plan a business. You know, it, it's that reaction thing yeah. that we talked about earlier is, hey, prepare for everything and go fight and react, you know. And, look, you're not going to win every battle. You know, we have, um, to this day, uh, I still try to handle every customer service call. You know, not every gene fits. Uh, but that's part of the experience, and that's something I sell that, hey, you know, when's the last time you tried on a gene? You said, hey, hey, I want to change this, and they did it. You know, that's what we're willing to do. And we store those changes on your pattern. So that way, if you ever want to reorder, it's just point and grind and we make it happen. Oh, that's that's nice. Well, and so the couple of things that I heard there that were great was, I mean, one, get out there quickly because I, I know there's a lot of tendencies for founders to look for perfection, right? They want the perfect product and the perfect experience before they roll it out. There's also a sort of, um, I don't know, almost reckless approach at times in Silicon Valley of putting things out there even way too early, right, before it's ready. And so now you gotta, you guys have this like, but you guys have this healthy marriage here, right, where <clears throat> the two of you are working off of each other, getting something out there, reacting to it, not waiting for perfection, right, but also being grounded in something that you think is the right thing. And then I love this idea of what you said about, you know, not planning, right? It's more about reacting. So have the skills, have the insight, know what you stand for, know who you are. And then as the market throws things at you, you've got the ability to react to it instead of trying to plan the perfect beast. 
That's absolutely. And, and you know, we, we knew where we were, where we wanted to go. I tell people, don't, don't create a business plan, create a business map. Um, oh, nice. So you at least know where you're headed. And then if the road's closed, <coughs> you still know where you're going. You just got to change. You got to, sometimes you got to make a U-turn, you know? So. That map's a great example. I love that. So again, same thing, right? It gives people the opportunity to find their way through things, which is what you guys have been so successful at. Okay. So one of the things we, we talked about in prep and I found really fascinating is um, how you guys are working through gifting and through corporations to find your way there, right? So what I, what I heard from you is 30 major league houses, 22 NFL teams, right? Ritz-Carlton, like you guys have some heavy, heavy hitters behind you working with you and working with your brand. How did that come about and how have you been leveraging that as a model? That's outstanding. You know, the way we got into almost 100% of our selling avenues is by having a champion on the ground that loved the product. Okay. And, and brought us in to sell to their friends and family. Um, which sometimes those friends and family happen to be the you know, Washington Nationals or you know the, the Denver Broncos, and so and then it was good friends always, to have. Right. Well, you know, yeah, and it always started off with you know taking a risk, going, you know, spending some money. You know, our first spring training, we uh, stayed three days at the Washington Nationals, uh, and I think we ended up the first day we sold nineteen jeans. We're like, oh, well, you know, this is something that could be uh, awesome. And if you looked at who the 19 were, uh, it was some pretty good blue check marks in there. And, uh, you know, and it took champions, um, you know, uh, old closer, uh, Aaron Barrett left us at Papa Bomb. Papa introduced us to John Lester and Jake Peavy. And those two guys right there, uh, Peavy's a San Francisco guy, so our mm-hmm. – our uh, uh, our second big team was the Chicago Cubs with Lester, and then Lester introduced us to PV. So it's been a mm. you know, great organic growth from there. You know, people carrying our flag. You know, and then as they got traded, uh, you know, and all that. Now it's year four. Now we spend a month at spring training. Now two weeks in Florida, two weeks in Arizona. Arizona's way better, um, but. Uh, it's you know now it's a part of our ecosystem on the sales is that we know that we're going to be gone but there there will be a sales team uh, from Tupelo Mississippi that that will be set up in a hallway of a major league clubhouse from late February to late March period every day and then the beautiful thing about sports is guys get traded so you may have a, a big contingency on the nationals team well next year some of those guys are going to be playing another clubhouses in the league so they're going to bring you into their clubhouse something that was kind of fun is that we had hit up a bunch of clubhouses right before the trade deadline probably two years ago and we literally had to turn on espn to get updated trades to make sure that our shipping was going to the right clubhouse so it was <laughs> that's when we knew we're like hey you know this has turned into a little bit of a monster if you will but so, but not you know not any of these clubhouses or corporate gifting venues that we use. Not once did we go to the front office and ask to see someone. We got in through a champion that was in the organization. They, they believed in the product and they said, Hey, this is a great product. I want to share it. And that's how we built, we built our brand from day one. 
Yeah, and now we're doing these uh, these uh, big corporations are using us for their uh, sales reward or you know outings. So so they'll fly us to Pebble Beach. Will be in a room, and they're offering the, you know, and they're offering the the experience, and it's still the founders of the company still taking measurements, although we have the employees to send, you know, it's story time with us, you know, we, you know, yeah. we talk about the genesis of the story, we take sixteen measurements, and you know, we, we you know, we lay out the fifty genes. Uh, it is a new and unique way to to a gene shop for sure and that's what's you know fun is that it was the only way to sell jeans back in the day and now it's probably 30 percent of our company still is this hmm. corporate gifting and um now uh, a lot of member guest tournaments you know people are tired of giving away sunglasses and drivers you know um we did uh alcohol companies giftings you know we've been contacted by uh some other politicians that are probably pretty well known and you know what do you give somebody something that has everything us easy us or tesla you know and uh, you know so uh, you know that's uh that's where we are now i'm hoping you guys are cheaper than the tesla a little bit <laughs> a little bit a little still, bit hey, still good roi though all right oh yeah Damn good gas mileage. Damn good gas mileage. <laughs> well, the, here's the here's the great thing. Here is you you guys have have built this off of like individual um, advocates, right? And those advocates bring you in. You guys are ultimately like a denim virus, right? And you you become airborne. You're just following people around. It's like you're infecting people, well, like you know, positive Ebola. I like that. <laughs> positive Ebola. That was a, a life goal right there, right? <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, you know, also, we haven't spent money on marketing. We, we have spent money on taking care of our clients. Um, several years ago, we uh, there was a Facebook comment from a guy from D.C., and he commented on, our, like, on our post, said, jeans are just okay. And we, you know, we obviously see his name. Well, I got your pattern on file. So we reached out to him and we went to DC the, the uh, next week. We're like, Hey, what didn't work? He tried on the jeans. It was minor alterations. We changed it. That that guy's on pair nine. He's done a personal trunk show and he probably told 10 people that his jeans weren't quite perfect, but, but, but I wonder how many people he's told that the two founders showed up on my front door, made it right. Cause we do care. Our brand's worth more than your jeans, you know, and that's one thing that we have. Oh, that's nice. You know, said, oh, hey, look, you know, and look, asking somebody if their jeans fit right is like asking somebody, does this taste good? That's a matter of opinion, if you will. So, you know, that's one thing that we, you know, have been very successful, you know, and we are very good at fitting jeans or we'd be out of business. I promise you that. But, you know, even when something didn't go perfect, we make it right. You know, and that's one thing that we've done as well. Well, you're, you're building for quality. You build for scale. You come up with a tenacious model to make that work. You react to the market as it throws curveballs at you, to continue those analogies. And then, you know, you, you build these advocates and these people then that are the next person to bring you in, the next person. So, you guys have kind of laddered your way up to success so, so now this brings me to the interesting question, right? So you brought this up in prep and I was kind of fascinated by this. How many jeans have you guys sold online? Zero. 
Zero. Right. So as you, as you think about your scaling and you're moving up and what this looks like for you, you guys have a technology investment you're starting to consider. Let's, let's talk about that. And then now you got to start thinking about what's the investment for those technologies and what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So there's two parts to our growth model and we'll talk about technology first. So um, obviously the, the challenge for us with our technology is not diluting the brand and, but offering somebody a way to buy our jeans and us not fit you. Um, and we're, and we're looking at that and we're actively pursuing that. There's a lot of models out there right now, a lot of people that are doing it. But like I said early, we are ultimate bespoke. We're not made to measure. We don't just need a couple of measurements. Uh, we don't need an algorithm. We need your body in front of a tailor. And so we're, we're working to translate that through a technology platform. And um, so our current customers can, can buy and so future customers can buy. So you can buy from there, um, which we're really excited about. The second thing that we're doing is we're actively uh, building out our wholesale model so that other clothers can sell our products. We have probably over 400 people across the United States selling our jeans that don't work for Blue Delta. They have their own clothing houses. Um, one of those uh, is Tom James, one of the largest custom clothers in the world. Great partner of ours, been a partner of ours since 2013, and we continue to grow to grow with them. So those two models, the wholesale model um, and the technology model are, are our two growth avenues that, that we're currently pursuing right now. Awesome. Okay, guys, we're, we're going to run out of time here in a second. So I want to recap a little bit and I want to give you both of both of you sort of closing thoughts. A um, couple of things I heard that were really fascinating, but also not just appropriate for you, but appropriate for anybody listening to the podcast and for other progressive leaders and founders that are thinking about trying to grow their business. So one, I think there's a a natural inclination with a lot of people to talk yourselves out of things before it's actually begun you guys didn't do that. You didn't let fear sort of stand in the way. Like you joke about ignorance, but you didn't let fear stand in your way. You got, went and created something from scratch. You were tenacious and built this thing. You reacted to the curveballs that were being thrown in the marketplace. You built these like amazing processes of, you know, win your backyard and burn your ships. Um, but, you know, make processes that scale and don't think about this as just getting by for now, but building a business and growing an organization. You, I love this idea about building a map, right? So that you can go find your way through things no matter what happens. It's not about a specific plan. And if this step happens, everything cascades and falls apart. Um, and you guys have built a really amazing product that you stand behind, that you personally brought out into the marketplace that allows you to be, give you that feedback on what's happening in the market, but also in a way that's allowed you to ladder up to success. Having one person recommend you to another, build you into these big houses, help you win the, these markets, and now you're going and growing and building off of technology and trying to make this work, but you're not sacrificing quality and you're not sacrificing the brand of who you are and what you are and what you stand for. It'd be really easy to go in and just say, well, we could go in and exponentially scale a business by allowing people an algorithm or allowing people a basic template or give us four measurements and we'll make a, a custom gene or a semi-custom gene for you. You guys aren't going to do that. So I love that you're sticking to the brand and you're finding ways to do that and you're using technology to get you there. 
I mean, it's, it's a really powerful story, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right. So any, any closing thoughts, anything we missed, anything that you want, you know, another founder listening to this, you want them to know? I would just, you know, say uh, in the early days, we just put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes you can't see that end goal. Sometimes you're, you yeah. miss the course for the trees, but we both looked at each other uh, about a year and a half in and we said, you know what, it would be easy, easier for us to keep going than it would be to retreat at this point. Um, so you'll you'll eventually look up and hit that tipping point and get the momentum, and then it's uh, it's it gets real fun after that. So just press on, and and if you've got a good product and you work hard, um, it'll probably turn out for the best. All right, perfect. Um, okay, so guys, if um, if I'm not a Chicago Cub and I want to get a hold of your jeans, how do I do that? Go to bluedelta.com, request a fitting, and one of us will be in touch with you on how to hook up with one of our wholesalers or come to one of our events and get you a fully bespoke American-made jean. All right. I love it. That's much easier than becoming a professional baseball player. I love that. <laughs> Guys, thank you for for hopping on the podcast today and spending some time and your uh, generous insights in how you guys grew your business. Um, But also, I mean, there's great lessons here for anybody else that's thinking about doing this, letting obstacles stand in their way, or just sort of talking themselves out of things. You guys have found a way through that, and I really appreciate your insights, and I'm sure our audience did as well. So thanks for hopping on today, guys. Yeah, thanks for your time. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Like I said, these guys are a quote factory. So many things that I really loved about what they said and how they approach this. Don't create a business plan, create a business map. So often I heard so many founders talk about a specific plan, everything contingent on the step before it. And if you think about this as a map, as a way to move your way through the obstacles in the marketplace and where you want to be, you can more easily navigate a map than you can a succinct series of plans. I love this idea of putting something out there in the market as quickly as possible and then figuring out whether your customers like it or not, or as they said, whether it's worth a crap or not. It's one thing that I've heard from a lot of founders as well. They wait until perfect. They want the perfect thing out there. They don't want any mistakes, but your customers will be forgiving. They will work with you if you give them an opportunity to evaluate your products and use that as a compass heading to steer and guide you on your path. They are totally uh, focused on making a great product and they do a phenomenal job at that. I love their stories of customer service and how they're focused on it and how that's helped them grow. And everything about them is just talking about how they've had obstacles in their path, how they've taken the bespoke model and made it work for them, how they use local human capital, how they found partnerships with uh, large sporting enterprises, and they were phenomenal in their ability to go do that. If you want to follow them, and I suggest you do, you can find them on Facebook at Blue Delta Jeans, all one word, Blue Delta Jeans, or just look at them on their website at bluedeltajeans.com. It's a phenomenal interview. I want to thank you guys for jumping on today. It was fantastic hearing you. If you'd like to hear more of these types of episodes, I suggest that you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, whether that's on Apple, Google, Stitcher, etc. And if you would like to hear more of these types of conversations and go in depth, you can do so in the book Beyond Product. That's Beyond Product. 
You can find it on foundersplace.co or in Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your favorite bookstore. We go deep into the five stages of growth for an organization and talk specifically about what founders and business leaders need to do at each of those succinct stages, where their focus needs to lie, how to build a marketing team, how to build a go-to-market strategy, and what that looks like. We suggest you pick up a copy today. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.